Hey, everybody. You know how I've spent the last year talking to other people about their crowdfunding campaigns? Well, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and we're doing a hardcover print offset book for the magazine. You can find out more details about our Kickstarter campaign by going to the-magazine.org slash book, or go to kickstarter.com and search for the magazine, the book. Welcome to The New Disruptors, a show that tells you that you don't have to be mad as hell and not take it anymore. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman, the editor and publisher of The Magazine. The New Disruptors is a proud part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. You can find us at boingboing.net or at our own site at newdisrupt.org. This week, I've got something a little different. I have people who have this thing I've heard about called a job. I'm a little dubious about it. I haven't actually been employed by anybody really for more than a short period of time for almost 20 years. So it's kind of scary. Job is a three-letter word to me. But uh, Ali Dreyer and Jenny Leader have jobs, but they also have projects on the side. And the way they got to their current employment, both they and their respective husbands, they took a path that wasn't just a, a straight line of a career. They made a lot of choices and they're still making them. And I have them on to talk about what it's like to actually get a paycheck from someone else. Thanks for being on the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think I tend on this podcast to emphasize this idea that you have to go it alone. And we were all at XOXO together, uh, both last year and this year. And that show tends also to emphasize the idea that, you know, we're, we're in it on our own and we have to find other people to work with. But, um, but you guys have jobs, I, this crazy thing, jobs. And, uh, what happened, um, after you each, and and also with your husbands in uh, 2012, went to XOXO for the first time. You're, you're both in Texas at the time. You went back to Texas. And, and tell me a little bit about what happened between then and, and this year's uh, XOXO. Um, well, I guess I'll get started. Um, so I... And this is... Wait, we should we should identify the participants. This is... <laughs> this is Allie. Hi. <laughs> this is Allie talking. Hello. Um, hi. So um, I basically wheedled and conjoled and had to do all of my intensive persuasive techniques to get my husband to even consider going to XOXO because he felt like at the time he was getting a PhD in cancer genetics and he was a student and he's a scientist and he thought this really isn't a place for me. I don't know if this makes sense. And I said, but it's Portland, there's food trucks. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> you can do this. And so against his better judgment, he came and we we went to the event and we met amazing people and we heard amazing talks and there was this moment when Rob was listening I believe to Studio Neat and they just really just reached him and he started to understand this this notion of making a product and what that could mean and how working on something that you really believe in can fire you up and inspire you and it actually led to him applying for a position at a company in Mountain View called 23andMe. Um, and so he he wound up getting the job there, and now he does um, health content science for them, and he's working on a product, and he's coding, and he's doing all these things that he never thought he, he would be doing because typically um, grad students in science 
uh, will do fellowships and they go on to academia. So he completely jumped out of that, almost kind of in a straight line from attending XOXO. And then for me, I was working at Bottle Rocket Apps um, in Dallas with uh, with Jenny. Actually, that's where we met. And um, when Rob got this opportunity, I was ecstatic because it was the it meant that I could go back to the Bay Area. And so I began plotting how to get a job out west. <laughs> oh yeah, I should you know I should back up. I kind of went this other way around though. Is that, that you two are are UI UX user interface slash user experience uh, designers? And can you explain what this profession is? I'm I'm old enough that it's a new profession to me, and it went from being what felt like something I would see and sort of squint at and wonder what it was to being something that is everywhere now. There's so many people working in either sort of either the UI UX or UI slash UX world. What does that entail in your sort of day-to-day life? What do you do in that job? Um, I guess part of it is sort of um, creating the whole concept of what you're, you're sort of like the product holder. Um, You come up with the strategy behind the product, the who, what, when, where, why, like, why is the user using this? What, what makes them want to come back? And then as the UI part comes in, you, um, you come in with how it looks, how it fits in, like with Bottle Rocket, it would fit in with the brand. Um, or if now that I'm working on something, my own product, that how it fits in with that product. And I guess you sort of like, you're like the candle holder of the product. Um, you sort of guide people around. You work with all the different disciplines and sort of lead the way on what you think the product should be and how it will be well used for users, I guess. Yeah, usability is a big piece yeah. of it as well. That sounds like storytelling is a part of it. You're trying to tell a story through uh, through the different kind of components you have at your disposal. Definitely. Um, you're telling a story of what what the product is, what it does, but you're also telling the story of the users you imagine will will be interacting with it. And you're trying to balance business goals with what, you know, everyday people want to get out of this thing. And you're, and you're trying to come up with something that's compelling and delightful. So it's a pretty challenging position to be in and, and one that is definitely kind of stretches you and uses all the parts of your brain. Yeah. There's like all kinds of different elements that you'll find yourself using that you didn't think you had to. <laughs> well, that's great. So you, you got to be multidisciplinary even in your own selves. You don't have to collect, but you, you have to touch uh, lots of different disciplines as well. A lot of different kinds of, of people and professions. Yeah. It's good to be familiar with like, well, since we both I came from mobile, it's good to like know what's the limitations of mobile and what things that you can push with mobile. Um, I'm not a developer, but I've tried to like at least learn like, what they can do with it and what the limitations are and just know when they say, I can't do this. I'm like, is this because you don't know how to, or is this like the limitation (laughs) of like what the actual product can do? And is there a workaround that we can figure out together? It's just mostly like communication. Negotiation. Negotiation. Definitely. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's the, the, one of my podcast themes is always collaboration too, is I love collaborating with other people. I think that I, you know, the ideas arise from, that, you know, the dialectic of having a discussion and going back and forth and ideas spark from brain to brain if you're lucky. So your profession, it's, is it founded on the idea that you have to be working with other people? I think, I mean, our, the UI UX profession is so nebulous. Like, I think you could talk to 20 people and everyone would define it slightly differently. And I think Definitely. that's a function of how young it is and how it hasn't t- had time to calcify. And then also the technology is always changing 
from under us. So it's really hard to define, but I mean, I think it depends on who you're talking to for sure. Cause like, even when you're looking at different, um, job descriptions of UI UX, even it, it just changes depending on what sort of product they're making or what kind of device they're doing it for. Um, sometimes it's also called product designer, depending on where you go. And it's it's kind of all over the place. It's sort of like the term art director, even. That's kind of thrown in there, too. But it's true that collaboration is is <clears throat> definitely a huge part of it. It just... the the extents of your role is what's slippery, I think. Yeah. This makes me feel better because I thought I didn't have it well enough defined for myself, but if nobody has it well enough defined, <laughs> then I feel a little better. It's like, all right, if you people in the profession don't even really, can't even put your finger on it precisely. So, but when I was, so when I, back in the, 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 the long ago, the far back, and I was studying graphic design, you know, it was pre-computer age or just entering really um, computer-aided, computer-aided graphic design. That was a term <laughs> once, if you can believe that. Suppose the paste-up kind, which is the field, uh, the area I left just as I entered. But graphic design had a very particular kind of communications mean, and it was often uh, – you had a very limited set of media you could work with. But you've got a lot of tools now. I mean, even if you're working, if you're working in the electronic realm, there's lots of different modalities of which uh, you can employ. It's not like you have a flat screen and you're putting words on it. It seems like you've got 3D, 2D audio. You've got media and touch interaction and uh, other kinds of – pointing devices is this a do you feel like you have a huge toolkit of things you can draw from or does it all break down into a much smaller set of things it seems like a bigger toolkit to me from the outside um i think it can be overwhelming with how many things are out there like i try to try out all these different things but it's sometimes it's about how much time you have and if it's worth your time putting all the effort into like there's various prototyping tools but they all take a long time sometimes it's just easier to just draw it out and try to like explain it to the developer and it's faster for them to code it. And sometimes it's faster if you just, I mean, one time Allie and I paper, paper prototyped something with stop motion and that was a lot faster than trying to <laughs> That's awesome. uh, show the developer and see if something we had a crazy cooked up idea that we had to see if it would work or not. Um, it was, wouldn't it be wasting their time and it'd be quicker for us to just kind of play with it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in this in this profession right now, you can you can do everything from like arm waving and making sound effects with your mouth <laughs> to building fully blown animations and movies that are like production level. So yeah. what you have to do is get really good at understanding, okay, how much time do I have? How much money do I have to spend? What do I actually know how to do? And then just throw it all at the wall and just make a good choice, pick the right tool. I really feel like that's a big part of yeah. the value that yeah. we add is just being able to assess the situation and triage mm. it into a design. Wow, that's great. I mean, there's people picking up like old tools um, and trying to make them work. Like I use Flash sometimes to kind of show the animation just because I know how to use it. And I know it's like no one uses it, sort of a dirty word now, but I know that I can create an animation that I'm trying to explain well with it or something. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I even see, I feel like there's, um, Handwork coming back in. I mean, you, you mentioned using stop motion even yeah. as a yeah. tool, but you know, I see people trying to pull out. You know, they're pulling out calligraphy pens or writing things and using that as those become interface elements because they're unusual now and, and then becoming less so. Definitely. I mean, I think there's a there's a tremendous freedom when nobody really knows what's 
going on with your medium. I mean, when you think about how new mobile is, for example, or just any of these new flat glass screens that we're pawing all day long, they haven't been around <laughs> long enough for us to really know what's okay and what's not okay. So you have this freedom to just whip out your pencils, try something with paint, crunch up pieces of paper, you know, dance out your interaction. <laughs> like people are going to take you seriously even if you're wearing a cape because nobody knows what the rules are. <laughs> this is great. It's like, was it dancing about art? It's like talking about, was it talking about something is like dancing about architecture? Exactly. I've forgotten what the, I can't remember the quote. I'll put the quote in the show notes. It's Laurie Anderson famously used it, I think citing William S. Burroughs, who was in fact channeling somebody else. But yeah, it's so hard to describe. <laughs> Talk about things and describe things. I just love that you're dancing out the interface to make it work. Interpretive um, dance moves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also true that like the tools we have, like we've all moved to touch, that touch is now the mo modality. I actually saw someone, I was on a plane, someone pulled out their Windows laptop and they were able, they were touching the screen and it worked, it did something. Like they were using some laptop with touch and I've as if that. it were a natural thing to do. It was fascinating to me. It's a laptop and tablet in one. I saw that but it looked like a laptop. It was really interesting because I'd I've heard of such things, but I never seen someone use it. And it, it, I know, I'm so I'm so snotty. But they were actually. It seemed natural to them. There was something they were obviously doing. I was like, oh, this can be natural. It sounds so weird. And when I've sort of played with it, it seems so bizarre. We have all these modalities. It, uh, when we're recording this, I just saw a piece already about the fact that um, you know people talking about the fact that we're we're barely. Uh, touch screens barely even scratch the surface of the kind of touch interaction we could have. It doesn't do pressure. Uh, I remember um, uh, back when I was almost a kid and uh, MIDI keyboards for uh, music keyboards had just come out that could start doing things like slide, the keys would slide or pressure sensitivity or all these things. So instead of playing a piano keyboard and having it basically be a binary, you hit it down or not, maybe it records some acceleration. It was starting to become something like the richness of a real uh, piano. And maybe we're going to see some of that too, that the tools we have, the, it won't just be a touch screen. It's going to be a like a haptic feedback interaction screen too. Yeah, I've seen some crazy prototypes that where like you have a, a flat screen and then buttons kind of appear and emerge from the surface of the screen where you want them Whoa. in the interface and then they dive back down and go away again and then they're <laughs> somewhere else. And I think just between that and flexible screens, oh, yeah. we're just – it's the Wild West and it's the early days and I, I'm so excited that I get to invent new ways of, of basically coping with this technology. <laughs> but it's just – it's fascinating and I think it's just the beginning. This is the way it felt back in like 1994. I was doing web stuff and it was like, oh my god, I can write this code and then this browser thing, this mosaic – turns it into <laughs> a page like whoa but no even that's like you know it feels like caveman and spaceship difference right now um jenny i didn't let you tell your story so now we have the bubble <laughs> of okay so what does you guys do but let's so you had you had, had a, another uh, experience along parallel lines you all went together to a new each other in in texas you all went together to this show so you and your spouse also had this remarkable the, the XOXO full body uh, <laughs> uh, transcendental experience. So what, what happened on your on your journey? Um, well, um, I'm a big fan of Andy's, and I knew that anything that he was making that I, I should probably pay attention to. And I saw that he had posted about this, and I poked Allie, and I'm like, "Hey, hey, we need to go to this." And then we're like, "Oh, maybe we can get our spouses involved." And so we're like. Maybe if we say that one of our spouses is going, maybe the other one will go too. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a couple's thing. And um, so 
somehow I convinced Andrew. I don't know if Andrew signed on first and then Rob signed on because of Andrew or how exactly it worked, but um, we had the promise of, of amazing Portland to kind of back us up. So at least it wasn't some really bad city that yeah and i'll say this <laughs> portland did not disappoint no way i mean the food good. that we ate was so good uh, the so. weather was fabulous too it was here yeah it was no it wasn't oh, raining yeah, yeah. it was sunshine it was like the perfect weather but yeah um so i persuaded Allie, and we got on pretty early um Sort of right. Yeah, because the tickets sold out in like 50 hours. So you guys had a – I mean there was a – I was going to ask you about this too because there was a big gender bias last year and you guys were right on it. And I mean I kept – I've talked to a lot of people about it. was like why were there so many fewer women in a field that is not – I mean all the fields that are encompassed in XOXO are not traditionally like male-dominated fields. It wasn't all programmers. It was creative fields, design fields, UI, UX. I mean these things were – most of the UI, UX designers I know are women. And, and I don't think that's unusual in the field either. I know there's a lot of men in it as well, but I think it's it, it struck me as like why what happened that XOXO wound up with more men than women uh, last year and this year too. I don't know if you have any th- thoughts about where because you guys jumped on it, you were able to do the 50 hours, you got your spouses on, you did the Kickstarter <laughs> thing, and boom, you're in. Well, okay, so here's what you have to understand: Jenny Leader is the internet. <laughs> So, so like I outsource all my internet needs to Jenny. She tells me what I need to pay attention to and what to click on. It's awesome. But this, this woman has her finger on the pulse of the goings on. So when she, she's the only way to put it is to say that Jenny is quick, like a bunny. And so when she sees something, she just jumps on it. She's just decisive. She sees it. She's like, this is going to be good. Let's book it. And so I have, I just have seen the effects of this (laughs) in my life now and like what it can lead to and what it can unlock this, just this velocity. So Jenny said this XOXO thing is happening. She mentioned the Andes. It was confusing to me. I was a little bit afraid. And then she was like, just pay this money and let's do this. And I was like, but she's like, we don't have time, Allie. Like she like sat me down. We don't have time. So I was like, okay. And I think we, we might have even bought tickets for the guys without I telling think... them and persuaded them later or something. No, no, we, we had to persuade them because it was an individual. We couldn't buy more than one ticket. So we had to persuade them. Oh, right. You had to so sign up. During yeah, that 50 hours, not only did I oh persuade Allie, but we persuaded both of our spouses. Oh, right. It was were very fire persuasion. It was really, yeah, it was really fast. <laughs> that is like, hilarious. I've had this conversation with people where, like, you know, they said, so what, you know, so why were there more men than women? And I said, and I said, I thought there's a bias about um, action in a very specific way is that I, uh, like, in my scenario, my wife is in charge of the kids during the, during the week and they're in school. And if I go to town, it's actually disruptive to everybody. So when the thing came up last year, I was like, okay, a text and I'm like, this looks amazing. It's going to sell out. What do you think? We go back and forth in schedule. She says, this seems important to you. I was kind of burnt out a year ago. I needed a change. My Kickstarter had failed. And, uh, I was, I was like, and she said, go. And I had people to stay with my, my in-laws there. And, and I hit the button, but it was a lot of consultation. And I thought, is there this thing about like by the time you decide that your family or, you know, even if it's a couple, if it's two people, not even with kids, is there a time where women are more predisposed to consult and to be – make sure things are not as disruptive and men are like, this is important. I'm going to go. I don't know if there's a bias towards that or not, but I, I wonder because it played out. I didn't feel like the professions were, were that. And what you talk about is you got on it. You're like, this is it. Yeah. We're all going to go. All four of us are going to go. Well, and that's a lot of effort when I mean, you pulled it together. This year, it was just Allie and I. Our spouses felt like they, they got what they needed out of the first one. Um, 
and they didn't need a repeat. But Ali and I just felt like we needed to go again because we just felt so inspired by it. Um, we're constantly brainstorming on our own and coming up with like crazy ideas. And this sort of like is a place that reminds us that we can do like anything, like anyone can just like decide to have an idea. They can keep doing like what they're doing their day job. They'll just make the time and then create something just because they're passionate about it. And it just sort of reminds you that anything can be created. And it's just like, this person's just like you. They've come from the same place you've come from. They've had their own hardships. It's really great that they explain like, they explain how they failed and they explain like how hard it was and how they almost didn't make it. But this time they actually did make it, but they had some other times that were, it was, it was rough for them, but they got through it somehow just cause like they just kept having the passion to push them through it. Um, and that's just good to hear, you know, it's just a reminder that it isn't so easy and these people are just people and you can do it too. Oh, that's good. That's, I like that. That's what happened to me. I mean, I came back last year and everything I did changed within about <laughs> six to eight weeks. It, it changed. I've talked about that a lot on the podcast. It's like it was, it was uh, inspirational. So you and Andrew go as well and you get back to Texas. So does his, was his mind blown off as well? And uh, or what happened when you got back home um, after the event? Um, I mean, he's, he's not from Texas. He's originally from Canada. Um, he sort of came here for a job came to Dallas for a job um, and then happened to meet me and stayed a lot longer than I think he was planning on staying. So he was a bit anxious, I think, to leave Texas and go to some new exciting place. And I was just a bit reluctant. Just, I mean, I've always wanted to leave, but I had a really good thing going with Bottle Rocket and I knew that I needed to stay there longer. Um, and I think it was just sort of uh, – a reminder that there's other things out there like Bottle Rocket. Like Bottle Rocket wasn't the only place out there. And I'm grateful for like what stepping stone that it gave to me. And it was a great place for me to be at at the time. But it just sort of reminded me that there's there's other ex experiences that I could be having and also be living in a, a, a really awesome city too. <laughs> so um, it just sort of prepared me for just reminding me I can do things like I don't have to just do the everyday thing and just wish and wish and wish I can actually change my life I guess and so all four of you have now wound up I, I was funny I was trying to write this in some article about XOXO as like you and your two husbands one each <laughs> not collective <laughs> <laughs> but the four although it sounds it sounds like it because your guys are such good friends but so the uh, the four of you um, are all now friends. as of, uh, as of, as of Excuse me. As uh, I beg your pardon. Sorry. As of uh, late August, so you guys are all now in the San Francisco area, all with four new jobs. Yeah, wow. it's it's completely different. That's pretty wild. But so here's one of my questions I would have is is uh, I'll send people to your site, so thoughtbrain.com and badux.com, and I will put links in the show notes, <laughs> yeah. and, we'll, oh, and we'll, we'll talk about specific things you're working on too but uh you guys have creativity you know bursting out of every pore and and i'm not a uh a false praiser like people can go to these sites and see you have lots of ideas you're not constrained <laughs> by say a nine to five schedule so what was the decision for you when you were um i, I mean this is where i come from the like the 20 years of being either uh self-employed or unemployable as the case may be uh when you were saying okay god xoxi look what all these people are doing uh, almost everybody, so people started companies, but most of it's you know, small 
entrepreneurial things as people with skills that parallel yours in different ways, right? That you're seeing people who do stuff at in some iteration of things that you do or you could learn to do. Where did you come down you know, without without dissing your current employers, which are you know fulfilling and wonderful in every way? But I mean, where do you come down in terms of okay, this is a next move, uh, finding a job versus saying. Uh, putting ourselves out there as entrepreneurs, did you make a decision or did you feel there was already a constraint for each of you in the kind of work you wanted to do versus going it alone? Um, I mean, I think it's really great when people can go at it alone. And I think I just need a cushion and um, San Francisco is expensive. And <laughs> um, I feel like I still need to learn a couple more tricks of the trade before I start just heading off on my own. I think there's people that can do that, but I sort of also, I'm still figuring out what it is that I want to focus on for a long period of time. Um, I feel like I can, right now I can experiment and try a bunch of different things and see what sticks first before like going full head first into something um, and then getting like tired of it or burnt out or something. This way I can kind of try a bunch of different things and it's still safe, I guess, but um, I can still do things. And Allie, what about you? Um, so for me, I think the closest I ever came to being an entrepreneur was my foray into the world of soap made with bacon fat. Um, yes, I'm very interested in this project. <laughs> this, was, uh, this was my... That, that was during the, the peak, that was the peak bacon period, as I recall. Yes. 2011, is yes, that right? Peak yes. bacon? It was the time of peak bacon. Um, it just felt right, you know, so, but um, th- yeah, there's definitely a story behind meat soap but <laughs> to answer the get that, get that bacon fresh scent yeah get says. meaty clean <laughs> um but i mean and but i learned so much from doing that kickstarter project and first of all one of the things about it was that it was successful but it wasn't successful enough like we didn't follow through with it as a business because people had babies and, um, you know, other things life got in the way. Um, but it was, it was also, um, just this really fantastic lesson. And like, if you're going to go out and make a company or do something, first of all, you have to believe in the product. I did not want to use meat soap. I'll admit it. I didn't want to wash my hands with duck fat. <laughs> it just wasn't for me. And oh you my know, God. That's, that's, great. that's a lesson that's great. you only learn after you render like 30 pounds of fat and you <laughs> wow. really understand what it, anyway. So it didn't make me a vegetarian, but it did teach me that I, I want to, I want to wait until I have an idea that completely lights me on fire and I'm just like a a really unfortunate Christmas tree and it's a problem and like that's what I'm going to do. I also feel like I I was trained as an architect. I went to architecture school. I worked on drawing garages and residential apartment units and bathrooms for four years. And then I made this gigantic leap basically because I was doing a website as a side project. I feel like I have so much to learn and then also being new to the Bay Area, weirdly new and not new because I'm I'm from here originally, I, I, I need a way to meet people. I need a way to engage with the community. I need to understand the startup ecosystem. So for me, my job is a massive school where I have a scholarship and I am making the most of it. And I'm just going to learn everything I possibly can until I get to a point where I say, okay, I'm ready to go do something that I believe in. And I know myself and I know that I'm going to get there, but it just feels like right now I need my training. Yeah, I agree with what she's saying too. Um, 
I'm in the startup right great. now, so I'm getting like I've never had the startup experience, and that's sort of a it's really scary, and it's like you do a lot more than you ever thought you could, and it goes up and down, and I'm really thankful that I'm not the one leading it right now because there's so much stuff that I don't know about and that I'm learning. So I'm glad to have that experience. You're going to laugh at me, but you know, I never actually said, um, Ali's website aloud before. I thought it had to do with trees. <laughs> <laughs> Bad UX. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought it was something. It's good though. It's good. But until I said it aloud, I'll also point people to my special collection called UI UX designers and fur hats, which is, <laughs> which is related some kind of some kind of strange trend with fur hats. Have you have, get more? I have people promising me more submissions for the site, but excellent. not so far. They haven't come through. Once it gets uh, cold, but uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Once it gets cold, I think, and they'll just come pouring in. Oh yeah. Oh, that's true. I launched it in the summer, but uh, I don't know what the fur hat connection is. But the uh, well, this is fascinating. And you know, without without revealing your ages, is that you? You've, it seems like you've both been out of school for uh, in the professional world for about a decade each. Is that right? More or less, a little bit over a decade now. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I'm yeah, not, I'm so not you've real had time good with to sort. Of... I don't. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you are 42 years old. That's Ellen. right. I am. I'm, no, I'm 46. Oh, sorry. You've gained some That's... years in the past five minutes, but I didn't. Know. That's right. You're 105. <laughs> well, okay. And, uh... She's just referring to a prank that I pulled on some coworkers. Oh man, it was so great. Um, he I actually believed what, it. Told- I convinced several of my coworkers that I was I, that I was forty six and that I looked really good for my age. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, people can link to photos of Ali also oh, on no. the internet and see how ridiculous <laughs> this is. I won't put those in the show notes. But well, but it's you know. So I'm uh, I'm a good ten plus years older than you f- folks, and uh, uh, I feel like I've gone through revolution after revolution. I was having these conversations. I was in New York recently and talking to people in different sort of publication internet. Things, some of it casual, some of it more formal. And I feel like, oh my God, I thought I understood what was going on and it's been two years and I don't understand anything again. <laughs> Do you get stuck in that cycle where, I mean, you know, you're, you're newer in the fields and the fields you're in are developing are newer fields. This profession is sort of solidifying or, you know, culminating, solidifying something new. Are you watching changes happen so fast you're having difficulty keeping up with them? Glenn, I have a Twitter feed. That is insane. Yeah. <laughs> also, not any help to you. <laughs> but I, I basically I read every single Twitter, and I follow a lot of people, and I that's how I keep up with with the internet and find all the all the new things. It's how I get all of my news. Any sort of new thing that's out there, I will find out about it. I've like specifically combed my internet feed to tell me all of the great things out there to keep me informed. And if I don't know about it, I get really, really embarrassed. She gets very angry actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's rage. Oh, that's interesting. So you're the you're saying so people were telling you to stop sending stuff because you're so you're you're becoming uh everybody's uncle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I was becoming the the old lady that sent really boring forwards, and people are like, "I'm not going to follow your chain email." No, um, I <laughs> uh, I decided to start a blog, and then I was posting all kinds of the all the fun, cool things I was finding, and it gave me an outlet of of just putting it someplace. All these things I was finding, I was telling someone, whoever was reading my blog. I think it was like probably ten people, or if that. But someone out there was reading my blog, possibly, in my mind. Um, And then Twitter came out, or I think Twitter might have been out by then, but I just started using it and then realized that, oh, this is sort of like an RSS feed and I can find out about, I can combine like 
all the things I read about and also project the things I find to this forum. And um, it's sort of become like my lifeline of the internet. And it's, it's interesting because since I work in a basement by myself, I have a different <laughs> Twitter and app.net have been lifelines for me in this other way, which is that, uh, you know, now I can, I, I go on the road for chunks of time um, every several weeks and I know a million people now because of all the Twitter conversation, which is kind of fun. Um, but you guys work in offices. You actually have human beings that you interact with during the day. So that's, that's interesting. How does that, work? how does that work? Where you have people around you? Oh, but I'm sure, but, but you, so you get, there's a, there's a different kind of interaction you get, you know, obviously from Twitter and real people, but, uh, but, does that take away your need to uh, – I mean, I'm a crazy Twitterer. I do way too much on it. <laughs> you? Um, no. No. No way. I, I only crossed 150,000 tweets recently, you I think, something like that. You go to Twitter jail a lot, don't you? Uh, not so, I've been much more careful about watching what happens. They, they, I think they actually adjusted me up. I don't go to jail as much. I complain to someone privately <laughs> so there and I think I got – How many tweets does it take to get to Twitter jail? I've always wondered that. I think it's uh, Mr. Owl. How many <laughs> tweets does it take to get to Twitter jail? It's – I think if you tweet more than a few hundred in an hour. But I forget the difference between using at mentions where I'm having a conversation with someone because I think of Twitter as a conversational means um, and like tweeting out at everybody. And Twitter counts those obviously the same. Yeah. So if you're having – I could be going back and forth with somebody with 20 tweets and it's a threaded conversation and no one who's not following both me – and that other person would see it. So to me, it's uh, you know, it's almost like a forum thing. Mm-hmm. But Twitter, it's all the same. They don't care. And I think that's actually a flaw with the conversational mechanism there. Yeah, I just recently started using it more as a conversational thing. Within it wasn't initially how I started using it, but once I made more internet friends, I think then I started using it more. I actually use App.net for more conversational stuff, just because I guess there's more room and. It's more free flowing, and I don't know. I feel like it's like a little secret hideaway almost <laughs> compared to Twitter. It's not as like it's not as public or something. Well, you know, I had Dalton Caldwell on not long after the service launched, and uh, and then met him at this year's XOXO. Played Cards Against Humanity, which we'll get to in a moment with Dalton Caldwell, in fact. And uh, uh, I I like the service. I know it's deeper than the microblogging part of it, but um, that's what how I got to know you guys is through App.net, and there's a lot of really thoughtful people on it where I have a very different relationship with most of the people on app.net than I do on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's the extra character count, but also the better threading, like conversations can go on a long time on app.net where they, they don't seem to as much on Twitter. Yeah. I think that was sort of the, the first Ali and I who tried to, when app.net first came out, it was sort of like the rush of who could make the best app.net app. And Ali and I played with some ideas at one point and conversation was definitely like the hardest thing to kind of figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think app.net is a fascinating idea. I love this notion that I can take all the friends that I make through the microblogging part and pull them with me through all the other apps that developers are going to come up with and that I have mm-hmm. all my data with me. And I, I think that's a it's a fascinating idea that you could you can basically take it with you and then couple that with this UI playground because the third party developers are free to do whatever they want and they're building tools for them all the time. And he pays them for it. Yeah. And paying them. Yeah. That's a big feature. I think Yeah, (laughs) the the paying is great (laughs) for them. And so I think it's just, um, you know, I I want them to take it as far as they can. I'm a huge fan of app.net. 
I, I love that too because they're in contrast. I don't feel like they've been fully discovered yet that what they are, I think people don't get their nature. They think of them as microblogging. And I've, I've spent a lot of time in the last year plus explaining to people that, no, it's plumbing. This is internet plumbing and they've exposed one bit of plumbing as something that seems like Twitter but it's you know the social graph is one thing, the storage is one thing, um, the RSS replacement. They've added some features there. It's like it's a whole bunch of things for developers, but developers are still tied into where the users are. And if the users are all on other services, it's hard to pull them over. I, I keep thinking there's going to be an event where Twitter really does actually offend a core group of people like us who use it as a tool, not as a broadcast medium. And and more people come to app.net and developers add it because it's the only way to do certain kinds of things. Well, they definitely are not limited the way that Twitter's really clamped down. Now we know why. It's because they're IPOing. But app.net, if you want a feature or some kind of um, some kind of API opened, they'll they'll do it. They'll just you just talk to them and they they listen to all the developers. And if you want something implemented, they usually listen to everyone. I think that's like a really, really big feature that, that app.net has going for it. Well, we could talk, I mean, this is actually a breaking into a design discussion too, but, um, uh, faved, I think it's FAVD, mm, yeah, right? Isaiah's yeah. project, um, which we all have, I think on our mm-hmm. phones and faved is an, it works on multiple services, but it's kind of an app.net based service for taking a picture and then, really replicating it across different places, which I think is a wonderful concept, but it has a kind of natural home at app.net. What do you, I mean, you're, I know Jenny in particular, I know that you use it. What's appealing about faved as opposed to other photo services or why would you pick that versus, you know, an Instagram picture or something? Um, I, one thing is I know where my photos are, like they're all stored in app.net. They're not on some random server somewhere. Um, and also it's, it's, little bit different it's almost like a a picture feed because it it isn't just the photos that you take but if you attach a photo in the app.net feed it's more like a visual version of it because any sort of attachment kind of goes there it doesn't have to be from feed and from faved to show up in the faved feed oh my (laughs) god i know yeah it's totally a tongue twister right there um So I think it's just sort of like a another way of, of viewing it visually and then also it has like the filters it's similar to Instagram, so so it's familiar, but it just you feel more protected, I guess, because it's it's yours. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the difference between a service where you're the product, you're the eyeballs that they're monetizing, or a service where you're creating something and you get to keep it, but you just pay for the privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as more and more people understand that distinction they'll make a choice. Do I want more control and I want to pay for that? Or do I just want to be, have this free service and then take the uh, kind of compromise that comes with that? Right. Difference. I I keep thinking like the difference between Twitter ultimately probably evolving into something that's very broadcast, like with like almost like radio show or radio station promotion style things where you can talk back to people and they, you know, you get prizes as opposed to being a home of conversation, interaction and, and, uh, and the rest of that. Um, speaking of interaction, now I don't normally do uh, live reads of sponsors on the show, but th- this is kind of an interesting case. So I will disclose fully that uh, Cards Against Humanity is a sponsor of this week's episode, and it's particularly appropriate because you guys uh, denatured me. Now, what's the wrong? That's not the right word. You uh, <laughs> deflowered me. 
I've been denatured like a bad protein. Uh, uh, I'd never played Cards Against Humanity before. I had sets of it, and I've had Max Temkin, the uh, one of the lead people in the – or one of the many people involved in the game, but he's kind of the public face of Ka on the show to talk about Kierkegaard and games and things like that. And uh, so, Ali, uh, last year you published an incredibly important article about Cards Against Humanity on your blog. That that this, this is a game – I'll be amazed and curious if listeners – are not aware of it. I've talked to people about it recently and some people are like, never heard of it. When I was in New York, in fact, I was asking people about it. Some people are like, never heard of it. And others are like, oh, I play that all the time. And others saying to, you know, a group of people like, oh yeah, I have to bring that over because we need to all play it. And I, I think of Cards Against Humanity as a game you either play with incredibly close friends or total strangers. Playing with casual friends, not <laughs> such a good idea because or, you or might freak friends. them out. Work friends. That seems like a terrible Any kind idea. Of fake friends, <laughs> imaginary friends. Yeah. <laughs> people, people you trust or don't know and don't care if you ever see again. That's a good way uh, of putting it. So at XOXO, they had a tabletop night, and and there were many copies of Cards Against Humanity. Ali, you have some advice. Can you share a couple pieces of advice about playing this this horrible game? That's um, that's that's terrible. No one should play, and everyone should play. Um, well, I would say the if if you take away nothing else, um, my advice is to be your most horrible, horrifying, disgusting <laughs> self at all times. And I think it's also really important to be sneaky, to cheat, to lie, uh, commit crimes, all of these things in the service of the game because it's really in, in the spirit of it. So yeah, the main thing is be horrible. And then the next thing I would say... <laughs> Is, she says in her sweetest voice, be horrible. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I have like basically a s several points about this. Um, you need to quickly size up the people you're playing with. And so if somebody's really just like likes the grossest thing when they're the judge, play that card. If someone's kind of a prude, then dial it back. If somebody really wants it to make sense, you need to kind of think about that. So basically be very cognizant. And then also if everyone's drinking the whole time, um, I you play all your good cards first so that as your hand degrades towards the end, everyone's drunk and they'll laugh anyway. <laughs> This is good advice. And and um, and here's some more information about Cards Against Humanity. So you can tell that I like Cards Against Humanity. It's a party game for horrible people. Well, that's their tagline at least. But it's a lot of fun and it's easy to learn. It's an independent game. It's the kind of game we talk about on this show. It started as a Kickstarter project. It's now the best-selling, best-reviewed, most wished-for toy or game on Amazon.com. I can tell you from personal experience, you can just sit down and start playing. One person asks a question for the group from a black card, and everyone else answers with their funniest white card. And that's, that's the game. It can go on for hours, days, whatever you like. There's no per se way that the game ends. You can play with just a few people or a big group. Bring it to a bar. Bring it to a house party. Play with strangers, friends, people you no longer want to like. Gillian Anderson from The X-Files said she laughed so hard playing Cards Against Humanity that she peed herself. Anne Hathaway loves the game, even if she calls it Crimes Against Humanity. You can learn more about Cards Against Humanity or download the entire game for free under a Creative Commons license from CardsAgainstHumanity.com. Just remember what Cards Against Humanity says. Money can't buy me love, but it can buy me a can of whoop-ass, a plunger to the face, a windmill full of corpses, crippling debt, or being on fire. Now back to my Cards Against Humanity buddies, Allie and Jenny. 
So I learned about many things at XOXO, but part of it is that uh, – uh, part of it was how to play Cards Against Humanity. I think I got a few good hands in. I, I, I bowed out before uh, – I think I played hours and, and still was not the last person at the table. Uh, but I think one of the themes that keeps coming back from that event was – the possibilities we all have and often close down. Now, when I go to your guys' website or I talk to you about the projects you work on, you don't seem to close down possibilities. It's only a finite amount of time in the universe, but you guys have found ways to add this in. Ali, there's there's like 4,000 things I would ask you about, but um, <laughs> yeah, because there's so, so – you guys have so many things going on. But uh, uh, a couple of things I think are particularly interested, interesting in the idea of uh, the realm of capturing creativity and um, understanding – how things work. So captivate to me is really fascinating. I've had these conversations with people for years about what do you do when X interactive technology dies? And so and it, for one point it was CD-ROMs when you don't have the, you know, the Mac OS or, you know, Mac system six, you can't run it. Then it was uh, early websites. Then it was Java sites. Then it was, you know, now it's apps. Where did your idea for, I guess, explain what captivate.co is and where your idea to try to try to capture app interaction came from? Um, okay, so in my job, in my day-to-day job as a mobile app developer when I was at Bottle Rocket, every day I would be explaining complex interactions to clients and developers and Jenny and all, all these other people and trying to get ideas across. And I would be pulling out my phone and saying, oh, there was this app and it had this this like this folding transition. It was amazing. You have to see it. And then I'd spend, I'd have to re-download it because I've had three thousand apps on my phone. Um, <laughs> redownload it, find it, find the interaction. Meanwhile, they've like fallen asleep. They don't care anymore. It's terrible. <laughs> so I remember thinking, God, I wish that there was a place where the really kick-ass animations were stored so I could just go and get them when I need them and just basically have this library. So I was playing with this idea and um, found had a really hard time figuring out how to actually capture the animations and get them from my phone onto into my computer, I guess, or onto the web. So I was like working on this and then actually on app.net, I posted a question that was that was along the lines of how do I get uh, a static image to sit in front of a movie and then on hover switch places. Mm. And on app.net, someone reached out, a developer, was like, oh, have you tried this tool? It's called Tumult Hype. They do things with HTML5. So I was like, oh, I've never heard of that. So I download this thing and bam, it's perfect. It's kind of like a what you see is what you get HTML5 tool. So I don't have to know how to code. Um, and I was able to make these little packages of a static ping. So I would take a screenshot and then I would record a movie using this other tool called Reflector. Um, I love reflector. Reflectors. Yeah. I'll put. I'll put like things. It lets you take the. It's an AirPlay connector, right? For yep. iOS, so it lets you take the output to a computer screen, and then you can record on it as if you were recording the output to a display that's the same size as the display you're using on your iOS device, right? I've got that right? Yeah, you c- I couldn't have said that better. I mean, that is well, exactly I think I, <laughs> it's a great, But it's a great tool. So that, oh, I see. So this, and that's the tool that let you, I've seen a lot of people were very excited when that came out, and it's been a while that it's been out because it let them capture interaction. Yeah. So... I, I, now I had the two building blocks and I had WordPress and I know just enough WordPress to hack it, a template by someone who can actually develop and code to pieces and get what I want out of it. Um, it's definitely broken 
um, in certain certain regards, like you can't use my site on an iPad very well, for example. But what I wanted to be able to do, and, and I'll say this, I did selfishly build it for myself, was just have this library of things where I hovered over them and then I could see the interaction whenever I wanted. But what totally shocked me and um, was a surprise that I found out after other people kind of talked to me about what I was doing was that I was actually building a museum mm. for these beautiful gorgeous examples of UI UX design that people were making. And I was just drawn to them because I was like, this is state of the art. This is amazing. It's beautifully executed. This is the standard to which I aspire all of my designs. You know, I wish I could reach this and, and, um, but then, you know, iOS seven came out and all of those iOS six apps that I had recorded now they're gone. Mm -hmm. They're not in the app store. You can't get to them. And so captivate is a place where those those little loops live forever. And, and it's not the whole app. It's not a flow. It's just a tiny snippet, two to five seconds of an app. But it's something that's preserved now. And I'm hoping, you know, can be a resource for people in the future when they want to know what was it like in the wild west of mobile app <laughs> development? You know, what were people doing? What I have the, I have the record. And um, it's been really interesting to see who's reached out to me at um, a woman, an archivist from the Smithsonian actually contacted me and was interested in learning how I was doing this for, cause they have apps too. And they were thinking about um, archiving them. So it's, it's just been really interesting to, to build this tool just to capture something so that I could use it day to day and then realizing it might have a slightly larger impact. Um, and well, it's, yes, yeah, I think it's, I don't think people think about losing the God, I mean, I I like to think about how how could someone run iOS five indefinitely if you wanted to show these, and then you'd have to have all the apps installed, and then I mean, it's only recently that Apple let you reinstall old versions of apps um, with iOS seven. Let you you know you can select unless the developer doesn't want you to because there's a legal issue or because they simply don't want you to do it. So you have this archive of things that. Right, that you that you can't find. There's there's no way to find some of this stuff unless the developers had recorded it, and then where are they going to post it as well? Right. It's very interesting, and uh, you're capturing it's uh, like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, exactly. It's ephemeral and it's fleeting, and usually for me, it's some of the most delightful aspects of the app. Anyway, so I'm glad that that it's still around. And so. I love this too. This is that part of the self-exploration is that you had um, – this is the, uh, the the itch that needed to be scratched is that you wanted to explain things to people. You didn't have a way. But you built a tool uh, with all of the knowledge you had and some additional you had to acquire that let you do seemingly exactly what you wanted to do. That's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's that conception. I keep coming uh, – I had this – I probably talked about this podcast before. Is some months ago, my younger son was uh, drawing something. He was frustrated and I said, you know, Rex, what's the – I probably talked to this with Max Temkin, in fact, maybe. It was that he, he he couldn't draw something. And I said, are you having trouble – the thing that's in your head, are you having trouble making it appear exactly the way you want a paper? And he said, yes. And I said, everyone has that problem. That's something – that's like the entire notion of being an artist or being a creator of any kind is taking the thing in your head and making it real. And I didn't think about how that affects him at – you know, he's frustrated. He doesn't have the hand skill and maybe he'll never – I don't know. I never became a cartoonist, so I don't know if I ever would be able to sit down and draw like that. But this is the thing. It seems like you had an idea in your head of what you wanted to do and you pulled off something that this seems like what – like you've achieved precisely what you wanted to do. Yeah. And one – when it was happening, the outcome was always uncertain. Um, I didn't 
I didn't know if I was going to be able to figure this out technically. Um, there are a lot of skills that, like, if I, if I were going to sit down and do this properly, there are so many things that I would have to learn. Like, I would have to learn how to write in PHP and understand JavaScript and HTML5, and I don't understand any of that stuff. But there are tools and helpful people, and that's what really made the difference in taking an, a nebulous idea um, that I didn't know if I could achieve or not and bring it to fruition is really other people. That's that wonderful thing that the internet gives us is that generosity, whether it's through self-interest or not, that all the tools can be out there if we can find them. Um, Jenny, I was going to talk to you about something that is, that is a different kind of ephemera, which is Maple Mark, which I kind of love. <laughs> this is one of your side projects. I realize this may not seem as profound as capturing <laughs> the transition, but um, but you you seem to have gone at it with like an incredible degree of focus, and I'm I'm always interested. <laughs> I know you laugh, you laugh, but I'm always interested in the in the um, the attention people bring to things because I think it shows even when you're doing something casual like this, it shows the uh, focus that you have. So, so what's the motivation? I know you're married to a Canadian fellow. What's the motivation behind Maple Mark? Well, being married to a Canadian fellow, you learn lots of Canadian things, and the first thing I notice about Canadians is. They always show people in some kind of way that they're Canadian. And usually they like to wear their flag a lot. Like anywhere you go, you'll see it. You'll, you'll know that person's Canadian because they're wearing a Canadian shirt. Even though they're Canadian and they, they live in Canada, they'll wear their Canada shirt with pride. Or they'll have a maple leaf hat. Or they'll have a little patch on their backpack. You'll spot a Canadian anywhere you go because they will wear their, their Canadian flag with pride. And also on the side of that they will incorporate that Canadian flag into every single logo possible. And I was so fascinated by that. I haven't gone to Canada until I met my husband, Andrew. And then that's the first thing as a logo, as at, being a designer, like making logos and such, like I always look at the logos of everything. Um, but I was just so fascinated that so many different ways that you can incorporate a maple leaf into a logo <laughs> And <laughs> I'm like, I need to make a book of this or something. Like, every time I go, there's just, like, I can't believe, like, all the different... I mean, it's the same thing. It's a maple leaf, but they can just use it in so many different ways. And um, I finally realized a blog is something that's way more attainable. Um, there, no one have to worry about people actually buying the book. It's just for my own sake of, like, interest. And um, so I've just been collecting any possible form of Canadian logo using the maple leaf, just because there are so many out there. And I'm, I'm sort of limited because it's all what I can find on the internet, but if I had a, a really great camera and I could stand in the middle of a freeway and take a picture <laughs> of a billboard <laughs> or something, because there's just there's so many instances like in the neighborhoods and like every single, even the, the American logos here, when they incorporate them into Canada, they always add a maple leaf somewhere like Wendy's on the on the um, apostrophe S as a maple leaf. Oh my gosh, yeah, really? It, That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. They, they, it's, like, it's amazing to me. And so I just wanted to like, Bring it all together and show people the Canadian pride <laughs> of the maple leaf. <laughs> it is pretty great, though. It does, I mean, it almost looks like it, it almost looks like a goof that there's. This is it's so. It's not like they just take a maple leaf and there's an ur maple leaf that everyone uses. Like in in um, Basel in Switzerland, there's this thing, the bishop's staff, the Basel stop, and it's a symbol of. It's kind of this weird thing between um, the Protestant and Catholic forces that used to be, you know, during the religious wars and whatever. And so there's one that's white on black and one that's black and white, and you see it everywhere. But it's very 
um, iconic in that it's always used in almost the same way. As opposed to the maple leaf, it seems really uh, malleable that mm-hmm. when I look at this site, there's like no two maple leaves. I mean, they have similar characteristics, but some are ultra realistic. Some are so abstracted, like the logo for the Olympics uh, where you know it's a maple leaf because you know it's a maple leaf because it's Montreal, mm-hmm. right? But you wouldn't necessarily identify it as one without. And um, it's – I realize you didn't create these, but it's a fascinating collection to see uh, like a curation of how people reconceived of this symbol. Yeah, I'm, they just have so much pride. Like you don't – I mean America has pride, but I guess our flag isn't as as like versatile as the maple leaf is. I think my favorite one on there is – there's one made of salmon heads. <laughs> it's it's really impressive. Like I didn't I didn't see the salmon heads at first, but then I realized, hey, there's a bunch of fish heads in here. Um, oh, that's brilliant! But it makes a maple leaf, and there's I don't know. I just I just find it really fascinating. So I just decided to make this site. <laughs> well, so I think there's a there's a, a Jenny thing that's emerged, which is Jenny's interested in many things, like lots and lots and <laughs> yeah. lots. Like there's sort of a quantity thing. What what drives you in your work? What are you looking for in the work you do? How do you narrow down the realm of possibility and find the thing that you're looking for? Um, I always do a bunch of research. Um, if you ask me to find something about some sort of particular topic, I will, in five minutes, because I know my the, how to use the internet quite well now, um, <laughs> so. I will find you something pertaining to that. Even if I, It's funny because like, you know how a lot of people just ask random questions on the internet? Sometimes I feel it's like my duty to solve that question for them. Even if I know nothing about that topic, I will like go and try my best to research and find something for that person to help them. I think a lot of times I just like helping people and helping them like find like help them answer their questions. This is why we're friends because I need so much help. <laughs> I have so many questions. I, have a lot I, of questions. I picture a lot of new at thought brain followers who are just going to be t- <laughs> taking up more and more of your time. But that's an interesting that's an interesting approach. But so I mean, there's um when you conceive of something like so here's here's a great case. Uh, you you spotted this app called Wake Up, and you know you've got a full time job, and you found an <laughs> app. That integrates with uh, I don't know how you supposed to say it. Ra- do you say radio R D I O? Do you say, say radio R D I O? I think that's how you R-D-I-O. say it. Radio, It's like being in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> it's radio, and uh, and and you got this being your bonnet, and you sent a note to the designer. What did you? Why did you reach out to this guy? I mean, you. It was an app that you apparently like. What was what was your offer to him? Well, I mean, um, I'm really obsessed with music, and RDO sort of solved that that problem where. Um, I have collected so much music and it's on so many different mediums that I can't listen to it all. And also I was spending an ungodly amount of money on music and this sort of tamed it a bit by having the subscription. Um, I know some people complain about like paying for a subscription, but this has actually saved me money (laughs) (laughs) for the amount because I just consume music so much. But, um, I don't keep music on my phone because I have so much music that it would, and I also have so many apps, so many photos, especially photos. I take so many photos. Um, I don't have the room to store the music. So that's another reason why I like RDO is because it's streamed. It doesn't take up space. And um, I was really tired of waking up to the Apple tunes, you know, the different alarms. Um, They were starting to make me quite angry. And um, <laughs> so I'm like, it'd be really great if I can wake up to the music that I have on RDO. And so I decided to search and I found this app and I'm like, this is exactly what I want. 
And then also living with a developer, my husband's also a developer, I know how hard it is sometimes. They have like really great ideas and things are, they work really great functionally, but they don't really look that amazing. And I also know how hard it is for them to find designers to help them make their stuff amazing. And, and it's usually just like working with another person is sort of frightening too. So I found this app and it was, it's a simple app. It only has like, for me, visually, it's only a few string, a few screens. It's not simple. I'm sure it's quite complex, but for designing it, it, it really wouldn't take too much of my time, but it'd be a really fun thing to work on because, um, it would, it's not a client based app. I was working for Bottle Rocket and everything was based on like the client's brand. And this is something I could like, I could experiment with and have fun with. So I just decided to um, email the developer, David Bruno, and ask him. Just I was gushing about how awesome his app is and how excited I was how excited I was to use it and if I could design it, re help him redesign it if he would allow me to. Um, I would do it for free. I was just so passionate about like this app that I just wanted to make it more beautiful, just so people can see how how awesome of an app it was and take more appreciation for it. So I wasn't sure if I was even going to get a, an email back or anything. And then looking deeper and looking at his website, I realized he was in Texas and he happened to be in <laughs> Dallas where I was living. And I'm like, this is really ridiculous. Um, so he emailed me back and I think he, we met for coffee and I think he was a little bit wary because this was like his, his baby. He was just getting into making apps. And um, I think it's hard to kind of share like your passion project with some random stranger that has emailed you <laughs> with lots of exclamation points. Um, but then he saw but that offering I, you free work, the free work. That's the amazing <laughs> part. But I think he saw that I actually like did this for a living, and um, we decided that I would just. I, I didn't want to like take his baby from him. I just wanted to like help him make his baby more awesome. Because <laughs> everyone wants an awesome baby. Um, so I decided just like I'll, look. I'll just I'll design a screen for you, and if this is like what you're looking for. If it's not, I'll like redesign it completely. I'll, I just want I want you to be happy with it, but I just think that this could be really more awesome. Um, and I showed him a screen or two and he was like, he started to get really excited and we started working together. We ended up like working together quite well. And we, we worked together on our, on like our spare time. We both had full-time jobs and we, we put this app out. Um, he already had it out, but we just re-released it with this new design and um, it was really, really fun. And so um, I sort of want to keep on that trend of like working with developers and helping them with their side projects and making their their apps look fun. I mean, you just have so much more freedom um, than like your own day to day job, and I feel like it's it makes my my work better by experimenting in other ways and being able to try new things and not it's a different than the day to day thing. I think there's something to be said for practicing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it sounds oh. weird, but like I think you can practice using our digital tools and get faster at them. You can learn new techniques if if you have the freedom to experiment with some kind of interaction or a visual treatment. You'll play with tools you wouldn't normally use, and then the the next time you sit down at your desk for your actual assigned job based work, you bring all of that knowledge to it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of like playing an instrument. Yeah, I think it, it helps me be a, a better designer. I'm much more in the, the visual design aspect of like what I do. I'm really passionate about that. So I really want to make sure that I keep in practice with it. It's just like drawing. You have to like keep doing it. Let's take a break to talk about our other sponsor, Text Expander from Smile Software. 
we're human beings and we should not be engaged in repetitive tasks. That's what we have computers for. And that's why I love Text Expander. It's a utility from Smile for Mac OS X that I've used for years. It lets me type a few keystrokes, and then it plops in anything from a web address to my phone number to a large block of boilerplate text. Text Expander watches my keystrokes as I type, and these trigger expansions. Those expansions have become ever more sophisticated as the programs matured. Years ago, they integrated AppleScript with internet features, so I can copy a URL to my clipboard, type slash bit.ly, and have it use my bit.ly account information and login to create a custom short URL and then paste it at the current text insertion point. It's just a single operation. The newest version brings a fill-in snippets feature that lets you make form letters that can have multiple choice pop-up menu items and other fields. You can start from a template, create a custom response with just a handful of keystrokes. It's not just for Macintosh. In iOS, Text Expander works with 140 other apps, including Day One, IA Writer, Byword, OmniFocus, and Things. There's a list of compatible apps on Smile's site. You can find out more about Text Expander and Smile's other products at smilesoftware.com slash ND. That's smilesoftware.com slash ND, like new disruptors. And now back to the show. God, that's an, those are a really wonderful set of like metaphors and conceptualizations. I, I've often felt lucky in some of the writing that I do, uh, or actually a lot of it, is that um, sometimes I feel like I'm getting a master class from the editor and how to write, and I'm getting paid for it. And as a freelancer, it's all you know, it's all side projects in the sense that it's all <laughs> it's always something different. And um, it's been interesting to take over a publication like I did and be in that role for other people. Uh, also, and especially I work with a lot of people who have full-time jobs and writing is on the side. Only a few people are – I shouldn't say there are several people who are full-time writers and they have to really scramble to, uh, to pull it all together. But I, you know, I guess it cycles back to that idea of the, um, of the, the four-letter word that only has three letters, a J-O-B. Is, you, know, <laughs> you guys have to balance the demands. Uh, I, um, before the podcast, I was mentioning that uh, famously Microsoft – would, I shouldn't say they talk about this, but people I know there, and this is true of other companies, would kind of talk about like if you had creativity left over at the end of the day, you sort of owed it to them. Like you weren't really doing your job. Now, clearly the jobs you guys have, this is – you know they, they I'm sure want you to be doing other things because there's space for it. They're not trying to suck it all up. Ali, how do you balance the demands of the job and kind of bringing your A game to work and then – being able to find things that interest you that you can put the effort into um, that you believe in outside of it because you've got a lot you know both of you have so many have so many side projects of different sizes and intensities how do you manage those two things that balance um well i think the like the dirty evil understory and truth of it is that jobs have an ebb and a flow and i and i think there are times where you're gainfully employed and your employer just doesn't have a lot for you to do and they kind of don't want you to come over and say hey I don't have a lot to do right now because (laughs) then it's on them and they have to give you something to do and like yes theoretically at all times you should be at maximum productivity and the factory must run but but it's not that's not really been my experience um there are times where in my job I'm working like a maniac and I'm giving every ounce, every, every fiber of my being to the work project that I'm doing. And I'm, I'm actually completely okay doing that. I like doing that. Um, for too long, if you do it for too long, it'll burn you out. But I think for, for brief periods of time, like I like it, it's, it's exhilarating. It's kind of an adrenaline thing. 
Um, but then the way work is, especially when you're in an agency, um, there are client projects that, that sometimes they get canceled. Sometimes things drop off. Sometimes the scope's reduced. All these crazy things can happen where you're just a little bit less occupied. And I think even if you're not sitting at work working on something else, your mind frees up. And because you're not having to answer the demands of a specific project, you can kind of play over the possibilities, think about the tools you're using, think about the processes you're using. And when you're kind of doing this analysis, ideas happen. And then that is enough. Those ideas are enough to kind of fire you up after work to go dig deeper. What tools would I need to do this project idea that I have? What skills do I need to acquire that I don't have and how can I get them? Um, and then just kind of making use of the time in the day that if you're not thinking about it, you would just waste. So for example, now I take the train to work every day. I take Caltrain from um, Fourth and King down to Palo Alto. That's a 45 minute ride. And I've started learning JavaScript on the train because I have the time and there's a tool that, that I want to learn to do animations that's JavaScript based. So I could spend the time staring out the window and I'll admit some days I totally do that. Like when the fog <laughs> is doing so. some interesting things, and like, <laughs> I'll do that. But other days I'll just pull out my computer and use that time. It's kind of, it's free because I'm basically multitasking. I'm riding on a train and I'm also learning. So I think it's just looking for those opportunities and, and not beating yourself up when you don't do it all the time. That's the hard part. Is yeah. That? But just take taking those moments that are offered up to you when you have the mojo and just like <laughs> getting somewhere with it and then not, not feeling too bad when you can't because you're just fried because that definitely happens. It seems like there's a great cycle in and out too. And again, I, I talk about this like I'm an anthropologist about like what is work anyway? <laughs> what is this job thing? But it's that uh, that the skills you acquire at work you can apply to stuff outside. But then you're also cycling in skills that aren't necessarily directly related at this moment to work. But you're taking time outside of it because you've got a you've got a bent to work on something of your own, and then you bring that back into the office and and you're you're uh, cycling in skills that weren't necessarily in you know the set that they hired you for or that were available in the company too yeah it's completely this beautiful tapestry that happens where your light like the strands of your life are meeting and it's making something new i i think that the employers that i've had where i felt like most comfortable and kind of resonated with them they've understood this and they've known this about me and they've kind of said part of the reason that you're here is that you're gonna investigate these things so that's another thing I've been lucky to find employment where there was an understanding of the value of doing these types of investigations. So Jenny, let me ask you, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll finish up our, our interview here with the, um, the, the question I always have too is, is how do you break tasks down? Like when you come to a project and I always have this problem too, is, is I try to figure out how to take a big thing and cut it into slices that I can work on an approach. And um, I've never learned a storyboard, which I think is a failure. I think I need to learn how to do that because even though you don't need it necessarily outside of animation or movie making, I feel like there's um, there's stories you can tell where if you can figure out how to deconstruct it into something coherent, you can tell it better. What's your process for taking some kind of task, something that's presented to you and breaking it down into something that's that you can accomplish? 
Um, I guess the first thing I try to do is, I mean, sketching is sort of, you get all of your ideas out and, um, it can be just like a list of words. A lot of times it's a list of words for me at first to kind of like jog my brain into thinking something. And then I kind of do like loose sketches and then kind of figure out like the most important pieces of things. Um, I mean, if it's a side project, I kind of work with, like right now I'm working on this, um, another app called Jamsnap, which isn't out yet, but I kind of work with like what the developer needs at the time. So I find out what his and most important things are and I do those specific things for him. And then I find all the little things that I want to change and then do those. from. So he has something, he's not waiting on me for something. A lot of times it's actually like that with work too. You sort of, you find out what the most important features are first and you kind of hit those and then you do like little polishing towards the end. But as far as like telling a story, I guess, you kind of want to see the big picture and the details and make sure you don't forget about the details. And it's a, it's a strange balance, I guess. Um, I guess still the main part is hitting all those big things first and then tying in all those small pieces together. Yeah. Do you know the story that I, it's apocryphal, but it's the professor walks into the classroom with the glass jar, the rocks, the pebbles and the sand. Do you know this one? Oh yeah. Yeah. I forget exactly how it works, but it's, there's different, I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's different versions of the story, but it, one version is, is you got to do the big stuff first. The other is like, we well, can just fill the whole thing with sand too. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> why don't we just focus? That's somebody who's a little too micromanaging obsessed. Well, Jenny and Ali, thank you for being on the show and enlightening me about the nature of work in a company and uh, and how you managed to balance all this. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. You can now support the production of this podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Support us at a level of $1 or more per podcast. At higher levels of support, you get our on-air thanks and more. We'll be adding more patronage benefits over time. You can also sponsor this show. Visit podlexing.com, that's P-O-D-L-E-X-I-N-G, for more details about how to get your product or service in front of the attractive and clever listeners of The New Disruptors. Our theme music is by Jeff Tolbert, who you'll find at jefftolbert.com, and our audio engineer is Michael Warner. Our podcast audio is hosted by SoundCloud. We are a production of The Magazine, an electronic periodical for curious people with a technical bent. Find out more and read free articles at the-magazine.org. We're also a happy part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons by NCND 3.0 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution to us by linking back to our site. We only ask you don't offer it for sale. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening.